So if you know that song, you're old. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, it is really nice to be here this morning with everybody. Uh, we were praying as a team backstage, and uh, somebody said something that really resonated with me. We get to come here every Sunday and do something that... Uh, not everybody in the world gets to do. We get to come here freely and worship God without fearing for our lives or being arrested or, or anything like that. And, uh, you know, as Americans, we probably don't think about that on a regular basis, but it is truly a privilege uh, to be here and to be able to worship God. So everyone join me, stand up, and we'll get started here.
The Lord would say, my grace is sufficient for you. Whatever task that has been laid before you, whatever trial you have been challenged to overcome, whatever temptation you need to conquer, I have attained for you personally all the strength and power you will ever need to be victorious by what I accomplished on the cross. Realize this truth. Own this truth. Depend on this truth. My grace is sufficient for you. Thank you, God. Let's thank, thank him for his strength and his power that he gives us. Thank him as you sing this next song for him.
church says. You know, listen, um, I want you to keep the, pe uh, let me have the people, you keep the goods, we'll divvy it up that way after the uh, attack is successful. And before he does that, uh, Abram tithes, gives 10% of the spoils of war to the priest. And this is often cited as this, you know, another example of, you know, this is why uh, our tithes are 10% of what we get, uh, because that's the way Abram did it. But there's further down in the passage is, I think, the more telling point about tithing, and I wanted to read it with you today. Uh, it says, uh, and this is in verse 22 of chapter, yeah, it's in Genesis, look it up later. Um, this is what, so when the king says, listen, you know, I want to keep the ki I want to keep the people, you keep the goods, we'll call it even. Uh, and Abram says to the king, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Uh, and this is the point of it, right? This is Abram saying, no, 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 listen, you don't understand. Uh, I made a commitment to God. God gives me everything I need. God gives me whatever I have. Not you, not the king, and it's this recognition that everything we have comes from God. He's already tithed his 10% back to God, and he says, no, I don't want any of these goods. You deal with them. He sort of divvies up later with his men and things like that. But it's this recognition that it's not the king that makes me rich. It's not my job. It's not my talents. It's not any of this. It's God. Rich or poor, whatever I have, it all comes from God. It all belongs to God. So as you're filling out your tithes, reflect upon that for a moment. You know, where do we put our value? Where do I get my stuff? Do I recognize, do I really recognize that absolutely everything I have, I have simply because God has given it to me, has entrusted it to me, and I need to be faithful in it? Or am I sort of saying, well, you know, the bonus over here that I got, that was me or something. I don't know, I'm an academic, so we don't get bonuses, but some of you people do. Uh, and so think about that. As we're tithing, as we're going out through this week, uh, reflect upon where do I get my stuff from, everything I have. Because Scripture tells us it all comes from God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blessings you give us, Lord. I thank you that you truly do give us everything that we need. Uh, and I pray that you would remind us that uh, everything we have comes from you, Lord. I pray for a blessing upon my brothers and sisters, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 
Pastor Jim, I think. Well, good morning, everybody. I have an unusual announcement this morning. So one thing, if we were to describe our church, I hope that you'd feel comfortable agreeing with me that we are a multi-generational church. Amen? I think that is one of the fortes of Grace Christian Fellowship. I love that about us. I know that when my daughter, Johanna, and Michael, my son-in-law, have their first baby here pretty soon, there's going to be four generations of Susslers in this church. That's crazy. We're a multi-generational church. And you know what? My mom and dad will be great grandparents. <laughs> I don't mind being a grandpa, but now great-grandpa. So we're, as a multi-generational church, we know we've seen lots and lots of baby dedications over the years, right? Lots of baby dedications. A number of you kids have been dedicated here, which is very cool to see you cruising around now living your life. I remember seeing Simon McCabe. Simon, you were, you were in the hospital. You were, you were like fresh on earth, and here you are now worshiping with Crusaders. It's a very cool thing when we have these dedications happen in this multi-generational body. And it kind of is a family atmosphere, right? So here's what I'm leading toward as a family. Next week, we have a baby dedication coming, and there's going to be a herd of Schultz babies being dedicated. For those of you who don't know what that means, Josie and Tom Schultz have had triplets several months ago, some months back, and they're going to be dedicated next weekend. Now, that's pretty cool. All of them are here healthy. All are doing well. We thank the Lord for that. Really, very seriously, we thank the Lord for that. And a number of you have been praying, and, and you've been very concerned and active in their in their lives as much as you can be. You've shared food, and you've bought diapers, and you've been just wonderful supports. And Josie and Tom have been really impacted. Actually, their kids have also been impacted by this. So next Sunday, when the dedication is here, it's kind of a dedication that we all get to celebrate a little bit differently than, than some dedications, right? Because there's these three babies that we've, all, we've known about and we've watched and prayed for and, and seen grow. And that's a very cool thing. So here's the unusual and announcement part. Their immune systems don't quite have the same, uh, their bodies aren't quite ready to cope with things that other babies, even their age, would be ready to cope with. While they were born in October, they're not really six months old yet. So I would ask this. If you're feeling under the weather next week, please be mindful of that. And if there's ever a time where you're thinking, should I go brave it? Oh, I'm good enough to go to church. Well, I know that you're probably good enough to go to church, but please recognize there's three little babies that we've all been praying for for six months now, and even longer, then their bodies don't even know quite what to do when, immune, when, uh, ant, when bacteria shows up yet. So if you're not sure if you're sick or if you're under the weather, as a family, I ask this only as a family, please think about staying home and checking out our most spectacular sermons that are recorded online. Does that sound okay? It's a little bit unusual. We've never done this before, but we've never had to do this before. This is a blessing request. That means these little babies have come, and they're healthy, and they're happy, and life is good. So if you're not feeling well, and you see these babies, or if you're not feeling well, please think about whether or not you should be here. Okay, I know this is a crazy question or crazy request, but as a family, it's a good for us to talk about. So with that, Pastor Frank.
So how do I follow up on that? <clears throat> yes, I'm going to be a great grandfather. But just ask Emily and some of the other ones. I've always been a great grandfather. No, actually, actually, I'm not much of a grandpa until the kids are about three years old, I'll tell you the truth. Because um, I love the kids, but when they're really little, um, you know, I'll, I'm just not, I'm more into it when the kids get older. You know, when I, we can go out for breakfast and we can horse around a little bit, and I, I love that. You know, <clears throat> I got so much to tell you, I don't know where to start. Well, listen. Um, you may want to sign up for our, a ninth annual Passover Seder, okay? It's, it's, uh, we've got some forms floating around here someplace, and it's, it's going to be April 3rd, and it's a, a dinner with a teaching with it. And it's about how many of you have been to the Passover Seder? Okay, a lot of you, okay. Now, this isn't actually a one-time thing. This is something it's really good to do year after year after year. It really kind of gets you into the, the spirit of, for Easter, just about, just about you know. But um, it's, a very, it's a very good thing to do. Also, if you're, this is not for everybody. One day you cannot join this. You're too young. But your dad can join it, okay? So this is a, a ministry. It's called Elevator Up. An elevator up is a ministry for people. You have to be 60 years old. Now, if your wife is only 58 and you're 60, she could be part of it, okay? But um, it's only for, you got to be 60 years old or older to be part of this. So a lot of you will not affect, but it's a good ministry. You may want to pick up a brochure. So I was talking, Marty Spilkis calls me. And he says to me, Spilkes says, hey, did you hear about the two silkworms that were in a race? I said, no. He said, they wound up in a tie. <laughs> Tim, you didn't get that, did you? Silkworms, tie, you don't like that one, right? It wasn't the best one. <laughs> well, I've got kind of a heavy message, so I need to start out with something a little light. Um, I've used this for an example. I've talked about this probably a couple times throughout the years, but the word hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Uh, there was a time I did not know what the word hypocrisy saw, is. I did not know the definition, but I saw it happen. I saw hypocrisy, and I knew it wasn't right. I can remember I was either 11 or 12 years old, and I was attending Hebrew school classes, and it's... Uh, it was at the Bethlehem Center. Now it's a church. It's on Center Street. And I was always taught that when you drop the Haftorah, which is, has a lot of scripture in it, you drop the book, it's so holy, that you, you pick it up and give it a kiss. Okay? And 
This is something very common. Okay? So I was taught that if I, dropped, if I dropped the book, you know, I'd pick it up and give it a kiss. And everybody else would too, because you don't drop it. It's a holy thing. And so I can remember, I was coming from the washroom, and my, my, one of my teachers, one of my Hebrew school teachers, was carrying a stack of books, a hot Torahs. All right? I was coming out, and I was watching him. And he tripped on something, and he dropped them all. And I was waiting for him to, to kiss each one separately. I saw him pick them up. I followed him. Pick them up. Didn't kiss him. Came and passed them out. I didn't know the word hypocrisy. Um, I didn't understand hypocrisy, but I saw it. And I knew it was not right. He was teaching us one thing, and I saw him do something the opposite. I knew it wasn't right. Change the boat a little bit. Nobody fall off. Would you agree with me that sometimes we need to look back at our past to really appreciate our life today? Sometimes it's good to do that. Recently I was in Florida and I, I got in touch with a guy. I'm going to call him Al. That's his real name. <laughs> and he and I, he and I, he and I, well, he, he, he and I were in the military together and we were stationed in the Philippines together. Neither one of us were married. And he was my, my running partner. We did a lot of stuff together. A lot of stuff together. Al used to be a, a tall, about six foot, good looking guy, didn't have any fat on him. And we used to play basketball, football, we did all kinds of stuff. We, we'd go to different cities, we, we'd go there together. And I haven't seen him in 45 years. Okay? And so he, uh, he was living in Fort Lauderdale, he drove his Corvette to our place. Comes out that he has a Corvette. He has a Lexus and a pickup truck, all right, which he, he told us about. And uh, when I looked at him, when I opened the door to look at him, we both looked at each other, and we both thought the same thing. Boy, you put on a few pounds. <laughs> okay. Well, he and, I, he and I went to dinner together. I left my wife with the dogs. She was at the condo and, um, because I wanted to make sure that he was safe to talk to my wife. And I reminded him that I was being forgiven from all past things. I reminded him about what there's forgiveness. I've been forgiven. And so we're, he and I were talking. He came and met Pat, and we had a, it was a nice visit. But he was telling us about his life. Now, Al, um, he was always a, a womanizer. And he was married for quite a few years, but he was, he was cheating. And so he never had any children. And so he's all, his parents have passed away. He's the youngest, and so his, his uh, siblings are, are either passed away or nearly there. And he's talking about, he was talking to us about his life. And he mentioned that he that he got, out, he got out of the Air Force. You know, we both got out about this. Well, I stayed in a little longer than him, but he went to finish school. He became a border guard. Then he became an air marshal. 
then he became a federal marshal, then he became, went to Homeland Security, and he worked his way up where he actually was in charge of Eastern Europe. He lived in, in Belgium, um, I think it was Antwerp, Belgium, for many, for many years, and he was over all of Eastern Europe, and including Russia, and Homeland Security, and then he got his last assignment was in Miami, where he was over all the Caribbean. And he's had one of those lives, kind of like a James Bond life. And I took a different, I went a different way. I have a family, he doesn't have a family. I am Christ-centered, trust me, he's not Christ-centered, not yet. Next time I see him, I'm going to lead him to the Lord, and I believe he'll receive Christ. Because he's in a time of his life that he, he knows is coming to an end, and, and he doesn't have a whole lot. Now, you would think he has, his, he has his James Bond-type life, you know, but I wouldn't trade him lives for anything, anything. So I so much appreciate that, you know. Um, I love my wife. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my church family. I've loved a lot of my, my friends. I mean, I have, I have so many friends and people and whatnot. I, have, I actually have a very good life. I wouldn't trade this for, for... I appreciate the path that God has taken me on. It's a good path. I tell you all this because of what I'm going to speak about today. Today we're going to read about a man who was in a sad situation. A sad situation because he was friendless, he was hopeless, and he was helpless. He was a wild man. I mean wild. The religious authorities, they tried to constrain him, but he would just break his chains. Besides that, he was a tormented man. He was tormented by demons. And nobody could help him. Nobody. That is, until he met Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this good time when I get to share this, something that you, you put on my heart. God, help me to share this message so my friends would take the proper action after hearing this message. Thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to, look, we're going to read this story about this wild man. And it's, it's a lengthy story, but track along with me. The scriptures will be on the overhead. Mark 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of, of the uh, Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you lived in the same neighborhood, he'd be be like a howling dog. He'd be like someone, you know, you couldn't let the kids play outside because there's this wild man that came from the tombs and he would, you know, he was a... He wasn't safe around the children. Now, in his book, The Land in the Boat, volume 1, page 213, there's this fellow named Thompson, Dr. Thompson, and he wrote, One of the most common traits of this madness is that the victims refuse to wear clothes. 
I have often seen them absolutely naked in the streets of Beirut and Sidon. There are also cases in which they run wildly about the country and frighten the whole neighborhood. These poor wretches are held in the greatest reverence by Muslims, who through some monstrous perversion of ideas believe them to be inspired and particularly holy. It's interesting. But we'll continue here. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance. So here's this wild guy. He sees Jesus from a distance. He ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice. Can you, can you get the scene? Here's Jesus. All of a sudden, wild man, strange guy. Jumps down. At the feet of Jesus. And he doesn't just talk. He starts yelling. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off. They weren't the owners. They're just tending the pigs. They're pig herders. They ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. They couldn't believe this. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. Dressed and in his right mind. Here's this crazy guy. Naked half the time. Now he's dressed like everybody else. And he's in his right mind. Where am I? (laughs) Okay. um, Those who had... Cena told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Well, certainly you're talking about pigs. Who's paying for the pigs? Who was the owner of those pigs anyways? We, who's, Jesus, are you going to reimburse this guy? Look what you did. This is your fault. They died. You know, you're going to pay? We don't read that stuff. Then the, pigs, uh, the, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Sure. Leave the region. You killed, my, you killed my stock. I got pigs too. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell, to, to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. 
Now, you may be thinking, Frank, where is Decapolis? Well, Decapolis was near the tribe of Manasseh. And it's a Greek name for a region. It was called Decapolis because it included ten cities. And, uh, and Gersa was one of the ten. The Gerserines were mostly non-Jewish. And that's why we have the pigs. Okay? They were not in a little town next to Jerusalem. No. They were outside. Now think about this question. Think about this question. Do you really believe everything in the Bible is the word of God? And all of it is useful for teaching and helping people, for correcting them and showing them how to live their life. Do you really believe this? I mean, do you, I'm saying, do you really believe this? Or you just say, I read it and uh, I consider it. But I mean, do you really believe this? That all scripture is profit, is profitable. Now, if you said yes, would you agree with me that receiving the ministry of Jesus changed that tormented beggar's life? What a drastic change. What a drastic change. And you know, when I saw my friend Al, it reminded me of my drastic change. Because I was headed down the same type of a road that he was heading down. Because he and I thought a lot alike and et cetera, et cetera. But my life changed drastically when I got saved. If you said yes, would you agree with me that because of Jesus, that nameless demon-possessed beggar had an amazing testimony? Would you believe that? He had an amazing testimony. And everybody realized around it. They, I mean, it's not like one of those things, oh yeah, sure, sure. No, they knew he was a nutcase. He was a bloody, disgusting, scary guy. Possessed. Turn the boat a little bit. By man's standards, not God's standards, by man's standards, some of you were mischievous and naughty. But you were still considered a good person even even before your salvation. You were still considered a, a good person before you got saved. I mean, you didn't have a record. You know, you were basically an honest person. But you, you were still going to hell. But you were, because you had good upbringing, etc., etc. Some of you were beyond mis- mischievous. You were not a nice person. Because of the many bad things that you did. You would not be considered a nice person. So some of you were, by man's standards, were pretty nice. Some were not so nice. And some of you were totally rebellious. You were a terrible person. And the average person would think twice before they would have anything to do with you. 
And most people in the first category and the second category I talked to would have nothing to do with you. Birds of a feather flock together, so you would hang around with just those certain type of people that were as bad as you. The fact of the matter is, before our salvation, before we were accepted into the kingdom of God, God saw all of us, regardless of which of these three categories you were in, God saw all of us as sinners with a common eternal destiny. We were all equally like dead fish in our sins. Some of us just smelled worse than others. And the result of what happened to that crazy beggar is proof, is proof of Christ's power to change lives. Even a terrible, hopeless life like his. And that guy was messed up big time. And then, what did Jesus tell the beggar? He said, go home and tell your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Interesting. Interesting. Here the beggar, that guy who was delivered, he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, he wanted to travel with him, be that kind of a follower. And he says, no, no, go home. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell people how much the Lord has done for you. In other words, go back to your people and tell, tell them the Lord delivered you. Tell them that when you, that, when, that when you approached me, I didn't condemn you or give you what you deserved. Instead, I delivered you and gave you a new and a better life. And that's the way it is when we come to know Christ. We have a new and a better life. I've known a lot of you for a long time. And I wonder what type of person you would be if you didn't receive Jesus Christ. I wonder. I think some of you may be in jail. Some of you might even have committed suicide because you just didn't have hope. Some of you just weren't nice people. <clears throat> do you think that fella who got delivered, do you think he did what Jesus told him to do? Now, the Bible doesn't say. So this is up for our imagination. How many of you say, nah, he just went back to his old ways? Would you raise your hand? How many of you think, no, he went back with a testimony he told others? Oh, yeah, that's some, okay, that's us. I agree with you. Now, why did he do that? Why? Because he was so appreciative of what Jesus did for him. He appreciated, he was so far gone that he really appreciated all that Jesus did for him.
sometimes when you're a sinner, but not a, not a real bad person, I mean, you're better than the average person. In fact, I know a lot of sinners, people are not saved, they're not in the kingdom of God, that are actually nicer than people that are in the kingdom of God. I've met a lot of those people. Okay. And when they come into the kingdom of God, there's, there's not that dramatic testimony. But they have a testimony yet. But the people who were on drugs and this and that, and they were just nasty, okay? They seem to have this big testimony, okay? Whether a big testimony, we all have a marvelous testimony how God saved us. You know, going back to my friend Al, he and I were sitting at this restaurant, and I said, Al, are you happy? And he looked at me real seriously and said, I have bouts of happiness every so often. Bouts of happiness. And I started thinking, I'm quite happy most of the time. My wife thinks I'm a grouch, but actually, I'm quite happy most of the time. I am. Most of the time, I'm quite happy. She says, smile. Are you smiling? I say, yeah, I'm smiling inside. I don't smile outside so much. I smile more inside than outside. So I'm going to conclude this with a a couple of questions. A couple of questions. I don't want to see any hands. I don't want to hear any, any, I don't want to see nodding. Just listen and think. Do you appreciate the fact that Jesus delivered you? Do you appreciate the fact that he accepted you into his kingdom, given you a spiritual family, and has given you a ticket to live with him for all eternity? Do you really appreciate this? With Mark 5, verse 1 to 20 in mind, where would you honestly place yourself on this 1 to 10 scale? 1 is uh, little and 10 is much. Where would you place, apart, where would you put your appreciation level? Just where would you, where would you put it on this 1 to 10 scale? If you think, if you place your appreciation from 1 to 10, from 1 to 3, you better question your salvation. You might have a Bible, but I know you never read it. Most of your workplace and friends probably don't even know you attend church every so often. So if you said a one to a three, you may want to talk to me after the service and we'll make sure that you're born again. Now some of you may put down from a four to a six. If you did put from four to six, you're probably saved, but you're not serious about your relationship with God. You have a Bible. You probably even have a few Bibles but you seldom read it. 
the kingdom disciplines of tithing and church attendance are really not that important to you. You might be concerned about the salvation of others, but you seldom share your faith. You might be involved in kingdom ministry, but you don't take it all that seriously. Listen, you are very susceptible to backslide. Four to six. You're susceptible to to backslide. And then we have seven to ten. If you put yourself from seven to ten, you're serious about God, and because of that, you're changing. You're changing, and you know you're changing to become more like Christ. You're concerned about the salvation of others, and you're concerned about your testimony to the unsaved. You read and you think of the scriptures often. You're actively and joyfully involved in sharing your faith when the opportunity comes up. You're obedient to God in many different areas, including tithing. Church attendance is a priority. And kingdom ministry is extremely important to you. I don't know where you're at. But my job as a pastor is to encourage you to become more like Jesus. I'd like everybody to be nine and tens as much as you can. You know, Be serious, really serious with serving God. And I, and I know that sometimes when you serve God a long time, you can go from a, a nine down to a five. Especially elderly people. Elderly people. They think, you know what? I have been, I've been involved in ministry. I've done this. I've done that. I've done my time. Now let the younger folks do it. It's a mentality that causes older people to backslide. That's why I developed this ministry, Elevator Up. I'm going to catch these people who are not, who are not, listen, when you're 60 or above, you realize heaven's door is around the corner. (laughs) Now the heads are nodding. We know this. And you know what? We don't want to go out with regrets. And so that's why Elevator Up is so important for older people. Contrary to public belief, once you're in the kingdom of God, there's no retirement from it. I've had many people say, Frank, when are you going to, re- when are you going to retire? What are you talking about retiring? As long as I can, I can talk as, or, and pray for people, I'm going to be involved. I will be involved in some type of ministry for the rest of my life. I remember Mabel Caverly. Mabel Caverly was a gal I went to Bible school with. Mabel Caverly was a nun that got saved late, late in life. She was, when she got saved, she was in her 60s. In fact, in Anchorage, I don't know if they still have it, but in Anchorage, Alaska, they, have, they used to have, I don't know if they still have it, the Mabel Caverly Senior Citizen Center. 
Mabel Caberly was a, an inspiration to all of us. And I was living in Anchorage at the time, and she was in the hospital. And she was dying. And I went to visit her to comfort her. She comforted me. I go to pray for her. She's praying for me. And she has a joy. She, I left there not depressed, not feeling bad for her. I left encouraged. She was still involved in ministry. What an example. When I was in Anchorage, Alaska, um, on the, uh, with, my, with my two sons, with Joe and Jim, we visited the old church I went to. Hardly recognize the place anymore. I remember just a few people. And, uh, but we visited Dick Benjamin. And Dick Benjamin is, I, I was my, my apostle. And um, we went to his home. And uh, he's still, he's in a wheelchair. But he's in his right mind. And he still ministers to people and prays for people. He does what he can in a wheelchair. Then I went, we then went to this other church and we saw Dick Strutz. Dick Strutz is another man of God. Now, I actually grew up under his ministry. And here's Dick. He's still pretty sharp. Still pretty sharp. And he's taken a lot of his sermons and put them into a book and he gave, he gave it to all three of us. He doesn't do preaching anymore. But he talks to Younger men, one-on-one, he's still involved in ministry. We're always to be involved. You don't stop. So, there's a scripture, a very familiar scripture. It's the Great Commission. Let's put that up. Next one. Next slide. It's not there? Okay, the guy who put the slides together messed up. Oh, that's me. Okay, but listen, Matthew, the Great Commission is very, it's very you, you know the, the scripture. Just listen carefully. Jesus says, all scripture in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is given to the body. It was given to those people and it was given to the entire body of Christ. I don't care what denomination within Christianity that you're from. We all recognize the Great Commission. And you're sitting, we're sitting, we're here today in a church environment because of the Great Commission. It did not die out with the first disciples because they were commanded to make disciples. Make disciples. So, as a church, we have a slogan, which is what? Strengthen to reach. Strengthen to reach. Say that with me. Strengthen to reach. Okay, so the question is, strengthen to reach. Who are we to reach? Well, to the right, my right, you'll see who it is to reach. It's our neighborhood, our church neighborhood here. 
It's our local government. Our local government. Let me tell you something about our local government. Friday, I had an appointment with um, the, the Lieutenant Governor, Rebecca Clayfish. I met with her. It's about our, our lawsuit. And the fact is that the state is withholding money from us, unjustly. You know, I've come to realize the law does not guarantee justice. Justice comes from only really one place. And so we have two attorneys. One's a trial attorney. One's an environmental attorney. The three of us, we, we met at the courthouse, at the, uh, at the state building. And first of all, I was... So surprised that the lieutenant governor would even give us an audience because she's so busy. Because our governor, he's out campaigning, and so she's picking up a lot of the load. For many years, we've been, Judy and Gavin and I, we've been thinking who do we know? that can help us with this court case. And we've gone to two different state senators. But Rebecca never came to mind. And I met her. I met her when, she was, when they were running, when she was running for office the first time. And when we got there, she remembered me. She remembered that I have a church and a Messianic congregation. And I sat right next to her. And the attorneys, we talked about how we need her to rattle some cages to get some actions from the state. And then I felt in my spirit to talk to her. So I did something quite gutsy. I told all the attorneys, please leave the room, including hers. It's her legal aid. So they all left. It was just Rebecca and I. And see, I know she's a believer. I know she's a strong believer. And so I talked to her as a sister in the Lord. And she listened. And she said, Frank, I'm going to try to, I'll try everything I can to help you and your church. But I, I can't force them. But I can go to their boss's boss's boss and cause some real um, doors to be rattled. I said, well, we'll take whatever we can get. I sure thank you. I sure thank you. Our mission. I'll tell you, down the road, I'd like to have her come here and present her with a Bible and just tell her how special she has been even to our congregation. You know, we met our aldermen. Um, it's, uh, it's crazy. I can, I can get an appointment with lieutenant governor, but I can't get an appointment with the mayor. It's one of those things. I don't know. But it's just one of those things. I'm hoping you'd be able to just to, to meet them, ask them how we can help our community. Guys, it's part of our mission. Part of our mission. We're all to change. Anybody who meets Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will change. You say, how can I, what do you mean? You have to change, just because of the repentance aspect. 
And God has, God has a, a path for us, individually and collectively. And we need to do our part and be faithful. We need to take this seriously. We need to expect to change. Expect to change. You know, I asked, I asked Jackie. She's not here right now. Me and my daughter, Jackie. I said, Jackie, do I make, do I make a fool out of my... Do I, is Jackie here? Oh, I didn't see you, Jackie. I didn't see you. I'm going to tell them what you told me, okay? <clears throat> I'm going to tell them what you told me. So I asked Jackie, I said, raise your hand, Jax. Okay. She had not seen so I said, do I make a fool? Remember what I said, do I make a fool out of my... <laughs> so I said, Jackie, do I make a fool out of myself when I sing a cappella? You know what she says to me? She, she says, Dad, it's your age. It's cute. <laughs> I thought, cute? It's not... It's cute. <laughs> but, you know, we should expect to change. And when I sing, I don't sing to you. I'm singing unto the Lord. You just get to listen. <clears throat> but there's a song. I've sung it before. <laughs> Jackie, I'm going to be cute. <laughs> goes like this. Little by little, every day. Little by little, in every way. My Jesus is changing me. Since I made a turnabout face, now I'm growing in His grace. My Jesus is changing me. My precious Jesus, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow growing, but there's a knowing that one day perfect I will be. That's a good song. And that's a good way to conclude this message. Little by little, we grow. Expect to change. Expect to change. Expect to be more like Christ. Let's all stand, please. God's love for us is immense. Immense. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift His face up and shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in your heart. Give you peace. Peace in your heart, knowing that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he's with us to help us to change, to be more like our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you a lot.